Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried Fam. Today I have a fellow burnout expert coming to you, and this is going to be a really interesting one because she doesn't actually have a burnout story. This week I'm talking to Dr. Sharon Grossman, who is the author of The 7E Solution to Burnout and the host of the Decode Your Burnout podcast. Busy executives and entrepreneurs hire her when their work and lives feel like too much and when they want more time for themselves and their families. What makes Dr. Sharon's work unique is that she looks deeply into the psychology of what leads to burnout to prevent a recurrence of the problem. Amen to that. She will show you how you can totally transform your relationship with your work by working on yourself instead of trying to change your job or career. Dr. Sharon, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I'm so excited. So we've talked on the phone a few times. I've been on your podcast and one of the first times we spoke, you were like, yeah, I've never been burnt out. And I was like, wait, 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 what? I get that a lot. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, so how did you end up here in this space? Yeah. And I, I often get this question, especially as you can imagine on podcasts in particular, uh, because probably most people who are in this profession have a burnout story they've recovered and they want to help other people do the same. My story is actually a little different. So when I I was a psychology student and I went to one of these professional conferences and there was a guy who was in private practice as a psychologist and he put on this workshop for us. And I remember in that workshop, he talked about what it's like to be in private practice and how burnout is so rampant for therapists in this predicament. And at that moment, I remember just having this kind of red flag of like, I will never be that person. I don't want to go into private practice. I will do everything but. And so I went through graduate school and came out the other side and I started working for a nonprofit. And I was so happy. I was like, yay, like I just get to clock in and clock out. I get a paycheck. This is great. We have didactics. I'm so happy. But after being there for a little while, I kind of rose through the ranks. And then the only place to go from there was into management, which I absolutely didn't want to do. Like I did not go to school for all those years so that I can sit in meetings and talk about data when really what I want to do is work with people. 
And so I started looking around for where else can I go? What other options exist? And as I went through all of the remaining options, I realized that none of them were a fit for me. Mm. And what I like to say is I was kind of leading that search through the lens of my value, which is lifestyle. Mm. I was very much like, I don't want to be stuck in traffic every day. Like that sounds horrible. (laughs) Right. So there were just like all these parameters that I kind of inflicted on myself. And then where I ended up was that there were no options for me. And then I figured, okay, if there are no options, then I have to invent it, which meant going into private practice. But I remembered that workshop and I decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I have to be really strategic about how I do it. And that's where When I went to look for office spaces, I found a place that was walking distance from my gym and I would make my own schedule and make sure that I took enough of a break during the day that I could go and exercise. And, you know, I just had all these things kind of baked in to make sure that that didn't happen to me. And by no means do I tell people like you have to do these things to prevent burnout. But for me, it just was like one of these things that I went into it thinking about what I need to have in place in order to minimize the effect of stress. And something that you said is really critical to the work we do here is like, you knew what your values were and one of your values was lifestyle. When you say, you know what your values were, like even people that go through school to become therapists, not a lot of people know what their values are. Like, when did you come across that? How did you know that you were young? You're still young. Like, how did you get that information? First of all, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Like middle age at this point. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) And thank you. Yes. Um, I think it's just something that I've always felt because of just the circumstances of my earlier life where I felt like I didn't have a lot of control over certain factors. I grew up in a family where my parents just basically dictated what we were doing. It wasn't like the families you see today where we're asking our like three month old, like, what would you like to do now? It was like, it didn't matter how old I was. It was like, this is what we're doing. Right. So when I became an adult, I was like so thrilled because what it meant was like, I can make my own decisions. And, um, you know, I, I was moving around from country to country when I was younger. And so I had a lot of issues to deal with culturally and language barrier wise, academically, as you can imagine. Um, and, and then, uh, when I finished my studies, you know, high school and whatnot, I actually had to go into the Israeli army for two years. And that was something that I didn't really grow up with culturally because I spent more time in the States growing up. And so I was like, you know, whereas everybody my age at that time was like, this is what you do. Kind of like in the States, what you do when you're 18 is you just go to college. And Israel is like, what you do is you go to the army. And I, because I didn't grow up with that, I was like, what do you mean I have to now basically burn two years of my life to do something that I don't want to do. So when I got out of all that, for me, there was just this like huge sense of freedom that I can decide where I go to college and where I live and what I do for a living and who I spend my time with. So for me, lifestyle 
from a very young age was something that I didn't feel I had a lot of say. And so once I did, it was like, no one's going to tell me no anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of it. But even things like, oh, uh, I wanted, I was looking for an office space that was close to my uh, gym. Like I didn't, I knew that I didn't want a long commute. Like, how did you know you didn't want a long commute when you were starting working? Oh, because when I was going to university, I went to a commuter school uh, for undergrad. And that was one of the main reasons why I decided to move to New York after after that. Because I was like, I do not want to sit in another traffic jam. Like for I've done like my share for the rest of my life. Like if I never have to do that again, I like gave up driving for seven years. I was like, take the car. I will sit on a train. Somebody else do the driving while I can sit back and read a book. Like I'm totally happy with that. So, you know, it was just like, I needed, I just needed a break from all of that. And so when it did come down to, okay, now you have to work. And I was at that time living in San Francisco. I was like, what is close to home that I can come in and do the work that I love to do? And I wasn't really totally concerned about uh, money and compensation and all these things. Like for me, it was just like, I want to do the work that I want to do. I love the idea of having didactics kind of built into the job, which they had lots of. And for me, it was like, great, let's, let's see where this takes us. So a lot of people can't make that decision of like, I didn't care about how much money I was making. I mean, not everybody can do that. So mm -hmm. if somebody is starting their career or is not starting their career and is listening to this and thinking, I'm going to go into a new career and I want to set it up so that it, it prevents me from burnout, but they are a single parent with two kids to care for and they don't have financial support otherwise. Like they, they can't just go into a job that's convenient because of where it is. So what do they do? Yeah. So it's not like a one size fits all, right? There's all different kinds of things that you can do. And it very much depends on what you're dealing with. Obviously, if you can get paid lots for your work, that's ideal. I think at that time for me, I was in a place where I was newly married and have kids. I was just kind of figuring it out. And I really just needed my hours to get licensed. So it was like, whoever will take me. It was also like right around the time of the recession. So there was a huge hiring freeze and there were just weren't like lots of options. So I was like, I'm going to go with you know, what sounds good is close to home. And I just wanted like a, an easy life. But obviously, as I progressed from there, things started to change, right? And where I am today is very, very different from where I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. So um, I think you have to look at how realistic what it is that you have, or that, that you want to have, uh, how you can bring that to the forefront. And maybe you can't bring it in at every place in your life, but you can find little areas for it, you know, and I think that's very individualistic. So if you are that single parent, you have a lot that you have to contend with. You have to, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. So yeah, it's important that you have enough money to have financial security, to pay the bills so that you're not having to worry. And because you have all this extra responsibility, it's even more important that you create some space for yourself to make sure that you don't burn out because it's not just work at this point. You're also this parent who has to take care of children, presumably more than one, uh, but even one. 
you know, it, it's a lot. It's a lot for anyone. I think even like for stay at home parents who aren't working, just being responsible for another human being is a huge toll. And as a matter of fact, the more I talk to people about burnout, now we have people who are like our age and a little bit older who not aren't in the like, I have little kids syndrome, but more like I have these aging parents I have to take care of. And so we're kind of getting it from all ends. And so regardless of what your situation is, I think the important thing is to really focus on what your needs are and how do you, how do you get those needs met? And yeah, sometimes we are fortunate enough to be able to filter some of our preferences through our values. And sometimes you just got to get shit done. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So you went into private practice, but we're still not at being a burnout coach. No, no, no. I was a, I was a therapist and not a burnout coach for quite a long time, actually. Um, but I started to think about coaching and doing some coaching on the side. And the more I kind of get into that and, okay, now I'm a business owner and I have to market myself, the more I kind of get into that, everyone was like, you have to write a book and you have to specialize. And, you know, someone's like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years and there's a lot that I could write about, but like, how do you narrow that down? How do you yeah. make it like a meaningful contribution? And um, what I started to notice is some of my clients were clearly very wound up. They had a lot going on in their lives. I was trying to look for like a common denominator. And I didn't really know much about burnout at that time. I even kind of forgot about that workshop that I had attended. It was kind of like something that I was like, okay, I'm not going to go there. But as I started to do some research, I decided I was going to look into the topic and then eventually write a book on it. As I started to research the topic, I realized what burnout really was. And then as clients would come in and start sharing about what was going on for them, I realized that they didn't have that word in their lexicon always. And so I would say to them, it sounds like you're burned out. And they would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, how is it that we're burning out and we don't even have the words to describe it? We don't even have the right diagnosis, if you will, which is important because then you don't have the right treatment for the problem. So I kind of made it my mission to go out there and to educate the public about what burnout is and what to look out for so that people can identify it in themselves so that they can get the appropriate kind of help or use the right kind of strategies and tools to get back to themselves. This episode of Fried is sponsored by our partners at Qly.ai. If you're struggling to make healthy changes in your workday that will lead to long-term well-being, I might just have the solution for you. Qly.ai uses a combo of your input plus magical AI technology to help you build healthy habits into your calendar, Slack, or Teams for as little as the price of one fancy coffee a month. By syncing with your calendar, learning your habits, and using its customized formula, Qly will send you break notifications at convenient times throughout the day reminding you to do things like take a walk, eat your lunch, drink more water, and more. By learning your schedule, Qly will cue you when you actually have a moment to take action. When you're burnt out, making changes can be hard and feel overwhelming. Qly is designed to make it easy and to move with you through your burnout recovery journey. To get started with a 25% discount, head to qly.ai forward slash fried. 
Fried fam, how often have you heard me tell you to update your mugs or the blanket on your couch? I am so thrilled right now to tell you that I am now partnering with Baraby, that's B-E-A-R-A-B-Y, to bring you the most comfortable and most comforting blankets on the market. Baraby offers a variety of weighted blankets, including the tree napper, which is a cooling option for those who get too hot, the velvet napper, which is made of ocean-bound plastic bottles, plus they make the Hug It, a sensory knot pillow that will help you find calm, reduce anxiety, and bring your nervous system into a more regulated state. If I were you, I'd get one yesterday. You can find them on Instagram at mybarabee or online at barabee.com. That's B-E-A-R-A-B-Y.com, and that will be in the show notes. Because you've straddled both sides of this, I want to hear your, I have my own series of answers on this, but I am a coach who really loves working in concert with therapists. I, I do not believe that coaching replaces therapy in any way, shape or form. I love when my clients are like, I have a therapist. I'm like, great. Let's lean on that relationship too. Like I'm, I'm a big proponent of using everyone you can in their best skill set. How do you, as someone who has worked as both a coach and a therapist, how do you explain to people what the differences are between the two? There's a lot of differences and there's not one right answer to this question. I think one of the biggest things is therapists really are there supposedly to really get to the root of the issue, to help you kind of deal with your early life childhood experiences that may be leading to your programming, to the way that you show up now. And, and the reason I say this kind of um, delicately is because there are so many different kinds of therapists out there and there's very, uh, there's a very wide range of modalities. And I think what happens is when you are in the market for a therapist, the public just isn't educated on the differences and what to look for. And so everybody thinks like, I just need a therapist. And so they go out and they find somebody. And then oftentimes they find that it's not what they were hoping for, or, you know, it's not necessarily as goal oriented as they wanted, or, you know, they've been there for eight years and they're still not getting <laughs> where they want it to be. Yeah. Right. And so I think there are some differences and this is something that I outline for prospective coaching clients is that Coaching is quite different in the sense that it is very structured, at least the way I do it. It's very structured. We have like a time frame. We get you from A to Z and then you kind of move on. Um, whereas therapy can be this thing that goes on forever and ever. When I was a therapist, I was actually somebody who would kick people out because I'm like, you've been here long enough. You're good to go. And people just don't want to leave. Like they just get really attached to the relationship and the safety of that environment. But I think that's doing them a disservice. And I think we just don't have that in coaching as much, at least, like no. I say, the way that uh, I know there's different kinds of coaches out there of as course. well. But um, I'm a big proponent of just like, we have a very defined set of goals. We, you know what you're getting from the outset. I think another big difference between therapy and coaching is that a lot of people who go to therapy are having 
their insurance cover it. And so there's less skin in the game. So they get really comfortable and then they, there's, they're not as invested in the process. Whereas coaching clients are paying out of pocket often for the services. And so I just notice they show up, mm-hmm. they've done their homework, mm-hmm. they're serious. They want to get things done. They're like, oh no, I've only got two more sessions. You know, they don't want to waste the time, quote unquote. And so there's a different energy, at least for me that I feel, and this is why I love it so much, because I want people who are engaged. I don't want people who are too comfortable because I would have clients as a therapist that would show up and I would say to them, what did we talk about last week? And they were like, I don't remember. And I'm like, well, if you're not continuing the work in between sessions, if you're just kind of like showing up, checking the box and leaving, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the real transformation does not happen in the session. It happens no. in between sessions. And if, you, you know, if people just check That's true out for coaching when, and therapy. For sure. But like I say, I think if you don't have as much skin in the game, you're more likely to just check out. Yeah. And I just never want that to happen for people. I don't want to waste anybody's time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client once say to me, I did more in the past three months than I did with my therapist in the past five years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that, and to go back and repeat, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. And I said to her, you might've needed those five years of therapy to show up and be able to do this work in three months. We don't know that. We don't, exactly. we don't know. So I think that there's always, there's definitely a place for um, a d- different portions, like a lot of burnout, a lot of people that burn out have um, history with alcoholic parents. So the adult children yes. of alcoholics is a huge, 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 huge section of us, um, myself included. And I think that sometimes just getting that information is enough to, for somebody to be like, I, I had a call recently that I said, you know, she, I'm listening to her. She sounds just like me. You know, like mm. I was like, oh, we're twins. I said, did you have a parent that was an alcoholic? And she looked at me. She was like, what? How did you know that? And I was like, so there's a thing. I want you to go read these two books and then probably talk to your therapist. That's not at that point. That's not what I do. Right. That's not what a coach is there for. After you work through some of that stuff with your therapist, probably you should come back to me. <laughs> But I'm not there to do those things with you because that's not necessarily my job. So having the ability to lean on different modalities during different times, I think is is critical and important. But I do enjoy the fact that you like coaching for it's really funny because it's the same reasons that I prefer it to acupuncture because acupuncture often turns into a very sort of therapist like situation where patients are coming in week after week, even though they are healthy but they just, they like to come in. They like to have their hour. So they come in for years and they're healthy and they're okay, you know, but it's like, I think there's certain professions, Kate, where people just lean on that relationship, whether it's like the classic bartender where you sit at the bar and you share, you know, and I think it really, it just boils down to people are lonely. Yeah. And each other. And sometimes they need us because they're really burned out. And sometimes they're just kind of dragging along because they just need somebody to talk to. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I remember as a therapist, even just thinking, 
my job is not to babysit people. Like I need to get them up and running so that they have social supports, that they're out there doing what they need to do to take care of themselves, that they're not just showing up here for the next 12 years. Like that's not good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do I help you create the social support so that you don't have to lean on this anymore? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was on your podcast, I just, I love the structure of it so much. And I want you to talk us through what decoding your burnout means and how you got to that from where you were. Okay. (laughs) I know that's a big question. So I'm just going to like sit back and let you chat. Thank you. So yeah, the way that I kind of think about burnout, the more, the more I got into it, it's like, okay, I got the basics. We've got burnout symptoms. We got to learn to look out for, we got to figure out what to do to recover. But then I was like, what comes before that? What is like one step before we get to burnout? It's like, there are things that kind of set people up. And what I find is that a lot of times we're focused on externals, you know, the high demands, the low resources, the lack of autonomy, the unfairness in the workplace, like so many factors. But I also know that if you look at two people side by side who have the same exact circumstances, that sometimes you have person A burnout while person B doesn't. And so I like to look at the individual factors or as I call them contributors and what makes one person burn out in these circumstances while others don't. So those I think are important to look at because those are the things that you have the most control over. And as a psychologist, it's just something that I'm naturally drawn to. So um, I was thinking about what are the main things that lead people to be more susceptible to burnout, if you will. And I've basically narrowed it down to these three contributing factors. The first one is your programming, which is essentially what you were just talking about, where you have these early life experiences, like my my dad was an alcoholic, or my mom abused me, or I was neglected, or I was bullied in school. There's all these different things that when we experience them very young, they not just like leave an emotional mark on us, but also frame our way of thinking, our way of perceiving things in the world. And so if you think about what stress is, it's basically our perception of those external factors and how we make sense of them, the meaning that we assign to them. And when you have certain programming, you are more likely to perceive those same circumstances perhaps in a more negative way or in a way that feels more overwhelming to you. Like I can't handle it. I'm not as capable or I'm not as strong or I'm not confident or who am I, right? So there's all the stuff that comes from our early life experiences. So I thought that's actually really important because our programming, essentially what it does is bake in our belief system and then everything gets filtered through that. So I'm like, we have to understand that. Second factor is our environmental stressors. So no matter which way we cut it, we can't just say it's all in our head. There are actual things that happen like the unfairness at work. So if you're being discriminated against, if you have somebody who's yelling at you at work, if there are all kinds of traumatic events happening in the workplace, we can go on and on. There are going to be effects on on you as a person. And so we want to look at that, but it doesn't even have to be that crazy. It can just be that you have 
these huge demands at work and you're also doing, playing double duty at home because you maybe are that single parent or you just have like four kids and three pets and you're working a full-time job and like that's just a lot for anybody, right? So these are just environmental stressors and they just catch up with us. It's just life. And then the third contributing factor is what I call your burnout personality or your profile. And I've narrowed those down to three main types, the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. And so just to give a quick synopsis, the thinker is somebody who tends to be really all up in their head. So they're overthinking everything. They have a hard time making decisions. They are dealing more with that inner critic and are struggling with things like perfectionism and procrastination. They have imposter syndrome sometimes. So it's all these things that create a lot of anxiety and stress because we are just turning everything over a million times in our head. And it's really hard for us to just let things go. So that's the thinker. So essentially think about it as somebody who overthinks things. That's me, you guys, just raising my hand here in the background. <laughs> so, so you can identify with this, right? And so if we kind of um, go back to those first two contributing factors, we can say there's a reason why you might be a thinker. And we, we might want to look at not just the fact that you're a thinker now, but also what are some of your beliefs? Where did those come from? That's part of your programming. And what are you dealing with right now in the environment that is creating a lot of stress on you right now? And when we kind of put it all together, we have decoded your burnout, Kate, right? So that would be, you know, the way that we go about it. Um, and we do the same thing with the other two types. So feelers are really like your people pleasers. These are the people who just have a hard time saying no because they don't want to let people down. They feel a lot of guilt when they do. And so they take on too much, often putting themselves on the back burner. And so uh, there, there's a lot of resentment that gets built into this whole process because the more we neglect our own needs and we're putting all of our eggs in other people's baskets and waiting for them to reciprocate, but then that doesn't happen. And I have a lot of clients like this, then they're like, they get to the other extreme where they're like, well, screw this. Like, why should I do anything? Right. And so they're like all bitter and agitated and but still feeling guilty about it. Right. It's like, well, I, I, I love helping people, yeah. but like, I'm done with this. Like, I don't yeah. want to help. Right. So, um, so that's, that's a version of burnout. And then we have the doers and those are the people who just tend to take on way too much. They don't really have that filter that says, you know, you're, <laughs> you're full, like you probably shouldn't take on anymore. They underestimate how long things take, or they just feel like this compulsion to prove themselves. So they have to say yes to more things and they have to be accomplished and have more of the, um, you know, awards and the things that show that they've done whatever it is that they should, that they needed to do. And so they're, while I would say, while the thinkers are focused on quality, right? Because they're like the perfectionists. The doers are focused on quantities, like how much can I do? And it just never feels like it's enough. And so you're just taking on another thing and another thing. And then eventually you take on like the smallest little thing and you break because you just can't take any more. And I, I've actually interviewed a bunch of people for my podcast that share that exact story. 
And really my heart goes out to them because they are taking on so much and they, they are very responsible people and they they have the best intentions of doing really great things in the world. Um, but they just aren't tuning into themselves enough to really understand that whatever they're doing is not sustainable and then they suffer for it. And so this whole idea of decoding your burnout, I thought would be really helpful for people, especially because what we see often is when people don't understand what they need to do in order to recover from burnout, they'll just go to the thing that we see in the news all the time. It's like, I'm just going to take a vacation. You know, I'll just take some time off. And yes, that's helpful because you're unplugging from all the stress, right? But if you come back to work and you re-engage in the same way that you were before, then you're just going to keep burning out over and over and over again. And I've actually talked to people who burned out multiple times. So then I said, you know, we have to take a step back and really think about why am I burning out over and over again? And how can I actually prevent that from happening again? The more I can decode my, my burnout, the more I can understand where do I need to change the way that I approach things, whether it's through the programming, maybe I just need to change my beliefs, right? Maybe I have to rewrite my story so that I come out the other side believing that I am worthy and I don't have to prove something or that I have, you know, I have worth even if I'm not pleasing everybody out there, right? That I don't have to do these things that really I'm showing up with my two feet on the ground and I'm paying attention to reality, which is how much time do I have? How much energy do I have? You know, do I want to do this? Am I passionate about this? Is this interesting to me? Like really like asking these questions that make you, uh, that lead you to make more strategic decisions about how you spend your resources. I think that's really important for people. And so this is really where some of the psychology comes in. And my hope is that when people can identify their burnout code, and sometimes it's by listening to the podcast and hearing somebody else's story and identifying with that story, then you can say, okay, well, that sounds just like me in the same way that this woman that you just spoke to, you were like, that's my twin. So I figured if someone can identify with somebody else's burnout story and at the same time hear what's helped this person, then maybe those same tips can apply to you. And then you can find that customized recovery strategy that can not only help you recover, but prevent burnout from recurring over and over again, because now you're coming into it different. Yeah. When do you see... I have so many things came up. I'm going to go back to the very beginning when you said, you know, the programming happens because something's happening in your life. There's some sort of adverse childhood experience. You have some sort of coping mechanism that you create that turns into a pattern. You use it over and over again. It works. So you repeat it and then you become an adult and it stops working. One of the things that I read recently, a study that I read recently, this is a rat study, people. This is not about humans. Just to give us some Thing to think about is right now I'm creating a holistic view of the causes of burnout. By the time this comes out, I will have already posted it. And there's so many factors. 
like you said, you know, like there's profiles and there's, there's environment and there's, and when I think of environment, I'm thinking of, you know, access to green space and what's going on at work and what kind of beauty is in your home or lack thereof. And, th- you know, so we're, we're thinking about all the things, but there's a rat study that showed that rat babies who were ignored and neglected by their parents have an epigenetic marker that decreases their ability to manage stress, right? So when we're talking about, I just want to add a layer to programming that on one hand, it might just be your beliefs and your behaviors, right? Because pat- patterns and, and programming turns into behaviors. There, It is possible that there is also an epigenetic shift that puts you in a maladaptive state where you are unable to react to stress the same way as other people. Right? Like that, that's something to really think about. Can you change this? Yeah. If it's happening in humans anyway, which I assume it is happening in humans because it wouldn't make sense for it not to, but we haven't seen that. I I haven't read any studies on that just yet. But if this is happening in humans and epigenetic shifts can shift again, epigenetic shifts toward the positive change when you are in environments that support you, when you are with some people who love you, when you are able to receive that love, right? There are studies that show that when you are the recipient of love from another person, your epigenetic code can shift. So I want to just put it out there that beliefs and patterns and behaviors and shifting them matters. And also you might need something underneath those to make lasting change if there's some sort of genetic or epigenetic disposition toward an inability to manage stress. Because that just blew my mind last week when I was reading about it and I was like, you're shitting me. Why? Does it have to be so goddamn difficult? <laughs> so I think that's important. And I think the, uh, the, uh, the other question, not the other question, the, the question that I would have is, I'm sure that there's a few people that have, are listening that are like, I think I'm a thinker and a feeler and a doer. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I often say, um, you don't have to just be one. I would say there's probably a lot of you out there listening to this who are like, I am all the things. And, and that makes sense because usually we're not super compartmentalized, right? Like we have anxiety and we have guilt and we have shame. We have all these things. Um, and it's really about kind of how we position it in our minds. Um, and that doesn't make it any easier. It's just that maybe you need even more things to focus on in order to get your, get your way out of burnout, if you will. That wasn't a very eloquent way of saying it. (laughs) Essentially, essentially, we know what you mean. If, you know, if we were going to rewind the tape and say like, okay, these are all, this is all the areas where you're plugged into burnout, right? All these behaviors and beliefs and epigenetics and whatever, then um, there's just more things that you need to pull the plug on. Yeah. Right. And that just means not to like overwhelm anybody, but 
I mean, you have to understand where you're plugged in in order to then create Unplug. this, this unplugging strategy in order to prevent it from continuing to happen. I like the idea of an unplugging strategy. Yeah. It makes me happy. <laughs> and how do you help people differentiate between, yeah, there's these internal things going on. And yes, there's these external things going on. And actual, actually, like this set of external things is just really not healthy, no matter how much internal work you do. Is that something that you do? You mean in terms of environmental stressors? Yeah. Like there are some workplaces that should just like not exist. hundred percent. Yeah. So for sure, if you are not being treated right, right, if there's discrimination in the workplace, if you are being yelled at or in any way, shape or form, not being treated with respect the way you you deserve to be treated, then we're not going to sit there and pretend to, you know, work on your mindset or (laughs) help you be more resilient. That is not the answer. We need to get you out of any sort of toxic environment and put you in a place where you feel safe and respected. And that's going to be the framework where you can work and do the best work, right? But we we don't want to put anybody in any sort of situation where they're feeling harassed or anything else. That's That's never a good idea. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially those that have programming, from childhood around neglect or abuse have a hard time recognizing when an environment is unsafe and disrespectful because the environment might look a lot like the environment that they are used to. So this might seem normal. So uh, how should people sort through environmental cues to figure out whether like, should can I stay or do I really need to go? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Kate. And I've had too many clients who uh, had narcissistic parents who ended up with narcissistic bosses. Amen. That's the thing. Um, I would say (laughs) if you would categorize your parents as toxic and in the way that they treated you and you feel very similarly about your boss, that's probably a sign, (laughs) right? And I mean, it's not about oh, I made this mistake or how could I have ended up in this place? And that was so stupid, but it's more like, this is your subconscious at work. It is seeking out the familiar. And if you find yourself in this position, it's just kind of a wake up call to not go there the next time around. So like, just look at what kind of drew you to this place of work or to this person that is in this working relationship with you. And then how to be more strategic the next time around so that you're avoiding those situations. And actually, when we are aware of these things, we can make better choices. So that's the good news. Yeah, that is good news. So the basic advice is really look at the relationship with your parents or within your family and see if you see any parallels in your workplace. And if there's a lot of them, then it might be time to bounce. And it's not even just our parents because you're your negative experiences in childhood may have been with even, you know, if you were bullied in school, there might've been kids that uh, their personality kind of sticks. And now you're recreating these kinds of scenarios in your adult life, whether it's in your romantic relationships or at work. So yeah, you want to kind of just think about 
where in my life did I feel the least safe or mm. I felt maybe neglected or mistreated? And then how is that showing up right now? And if you can kind of connect the dots, that'll be very informative. And certainly this is where therapy can yeah. be very helpful as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. So people are like, well, now I need to figure out how to decode my burnout. Where do they find you? Where's all the stuff? Give us the goods. Well, I would say if you're interested in decoding your burnout, definitely check out the podcast because that's what we do every week. So uh, it's just called Decode Your Burnout. And uh, you can listen to my episode with Kate, which is <laughs> extra fun. Um, and for people listening who are kind of like, oh, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm burned out, what's going on with me? What do I need to focus on? Then I've actually created a burnout checklist for that purpose. So you can go to drsharongrossman.com uh, forward slash burnout checklist. And that's a free download. All right. So that will be as per usual fried fam in the show notes. There was a ton of information in this episode. And so you might want to, I feel like I need to go back and take notes. I know that we like to affectionately call fried uh, burnout church around these parts. So if this was a sermon that hit close to your heart, we want to hear about it. Come into the Facebook group and tell us what you thought, what you think your burnout code might just be, and what's sticking to you most about this episode, because we cannot wait to hear about it. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan